recording. So, if you would turn your books, your Bibles to Philemon. So, if you were not here last week, um, Bob had given me the chance to come up here and take a couple weeks to go over Philemon, which is the shortest epistle that Paul writes, as we covered uh, the first half of it last week, because I wanted to split it into two. Um, hold on, I gotta find. I thought I was prepared, and this is how it worked out for me. So, um, while this is all loading, I do want to say thank you again to Bob and all, of course you guys for allowing allowing me to stand up here to do this. Um, and I said the same thing last week, but I didn't really go into reason why. So this year, actually, it's been a year. Uh, that I have been able to start a, a series in the men's breakfast uh, called Man Up. I'm sure you guys have seen flyers or people have talked about it or whatever of, of just a men's um, meeting once a month. So I've had the opportunity now for a year to to teach in that after graduating HPI. So I don't, as you can tell, I don't have a lot of time in the front of a class. Um, there, I've probably taught over there five times so i have a handful of times of being able to stand up here so the reason we i say thank you to bob is because this is an opportunity of growth this is an opportunity to stand up here instead of out there or sit out there and of course doing that you have to find what works for you that's why everybody teaches differently bob teaches different than all the other pastors so you know brian teaches different so you have to teach what is comfortable for you. So last week, of course, I ran through some things. And it has been a while since I've taught, but I'm just trying to figure things out. And so that is truly why I say thank you to Bob is because this you can't figure it out if you don't stand up here and do it. And is it the easiest thing to stand in front of people and teach? No. Especially when there's a pastor in the seat, too. So that holds a lot more responsibility. Um, and But it is a good opportunity because... It gives us us a chance. I say us. It's like anybody that stands up here that's not a pastor gives us a chance to grow. And so this week I was able to listen to, and I'm one of those weird people that, you know, after I teach, I go through and listen to it just because I like to critique myself. You know, the, the your worst critique is you. So I listen to it a couple times, and I do apologize for some of the things that were said. Um, but... And once again, it's a learning curve to not state your opinion so much as it is scripture. So, um, if you were offended by anything, I do apologize, but nobody came up and said anything right away. Uh, but once again, I listen to it for critique. I, I critique myself and that helps me to polish and to figure out what I'm comfortable with and what I'm not comfortable with. So, and that goes as far as not just staying up here and talking, but also outlines, trying to figure out the right way to do an outline that is comfortable. So, if it sounds different or is different or whatever, you know, once again, this is just a great opportunity for us. And so I do, I'm grateful for that. So last week we covered uh, the foundation in which a believer must have to be stabilized in Christ. And I know that's a long title, but uh, it has a purpose. Uh, so it's the foundation in which a believer must have to be stabilized in Christ. Uh, we saw in Philemon... Verses 1 through 3, uh, Paul's intro. We saw that uh, the prisoners, or we get to be the prisoners of Christ, not the prisoners to Christ. I did cover that because being the prisoner to Christ eliminates our free will. Being a prisoner of Jesus Christ 
allows his free will to choose to serve him. And that's what Paul was writing in there. Uh, verses 4 through 7 is uh, Paul's faith through his thanksgiving. And you see that through uh, all of his epistles or a majority of them where he gives an intro and then he gives thanks and thanksgiving and prayer. And uh, specifically verse 6, he uses the word effectual, which we see in Ephesians 4.16. It says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together, and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Effectual, it's love. That's what um, verse 6 is saying here when it says, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you, Christ Jesus. We have love. With salvation comes love. You love people, and we are to be effectual towards people. Um, then we covered verse 8 through 11, which was the main source of verses I really wanted to, to dig in. Uh, we see the uh, introduction of Onesimus. Not the first mention, we just see the introduction in Philemon of Onesimus. So don't get those two confused. The first mention was back in Colossians. So we see the introduction of Onesimus, and then we expound on verse 11, of verse 11 showing us that we are all unprofitable until salvation. Um, these verses give us the foundation we need after salvation. Uh, our old foundation was shown to us by the God of the world, which we covered that verse in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says, In whom the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the minds of them that which believeth not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So we know, obviously, pre-salvation, that our foundation is built on Satan. Uh, Satan helps us build that because we have our sights on the world. After salvation, Christ gives us a different scope, a different view, and He gives us a light to look at to shine to the world. Um, the word foundation, so a great illustration, I learned by illustration, I love teaching by illustration. It helps to be, it helps for application purposes. So one illustration you can think of when you think of a foundation is, of course, your house. So two years ago we did a lot of, we shot, we house shopped for over a year. Uh, the situation we were in, uh, after we had the girls, the twins, we were being kicked out of a townhome because we had too many people in the house. So we had to we had to house. They were they were telling us we had to get out, but we had a year after the girl's first birthday, we had to get out. And so they gave us a year of grace to find a place to go. The housing market was was just at the beginning of going up, and so we were house shopping several nights a week for over a year, taking the kids around, meeting places after work, and it was a struggle. And it really helped us to live in faith. But at the same time, it was, we were just trying to find somewhere to go, you know, and praying about it, but we were really just trying to find somewhere to go, like to the point where towards the end of that year, as the, as the husband and the leader of my home was very stressful. <laughs> Cause it's like, we were looking, we were just looking, we, like, we wanted to buy. We were pre-approved to buy. We had a set amount. We were going to houses that were going like forty, fifty thousand above asking price just because there was, we went to one appointment where it was sold before our appointment time came up. 
And and we went in and looked at it, and they're like, it doesn't. You're wasting your time because it's already sold. We already have an offer. We're going to take it. And there were still people waiting outside, sitting in the parking, you know, sitting in the road to wait. So it was a crazy time. But living by that faith, you know, and and back up a little bit, we did look at some of them. And the reason I bring up foundation is because there was a house specifically in Garden City. This little old lady, she was super sweet. We walk into the basement. Because all these houses had foundations, basements, or slabs. We walk into the basement, and I'm telling you what, the first step into the basement, and then you look across the floor, there's roads in Kansas City that look better than this basement. And that says a lot, because Kansas City is like pothole haven. <laughs> this place, it was, it was just had been, it had settled, it was a very old house. And she, of course, she probably never even goes down there. So, it does, you know, she probably didn't have any clue what it looked like. We walked down there and instantly, we didn't even walk on the floor. We just walked back upstairs. The the wall, the foundation had came in and there's bookshelves tipping forward. It needed, it needed, like you'd have to tear down the house and redo the whole foundation. So my whole point to that, in the house we actually bought, actually, it did at one point have foundation problems. But they went through and they, they put the, the, they did it correctly. They spent good money to get it stabilized. And so that's the point of the foundation is that every house has a foundation or a concrete slab. So what happens, you know, when we first become saved, that's a brand new foundation. We have a a new structure. We have a new foundation to build on as a baby Christian. So over time, just like houses, the foundation tends to crack. It tends to um, become in very bad shape if you don't uh, if you don't do anything about it. And so. That is why this the the Paul gives us the foundation here between verse one and verse eleven. We are unprofitable. That means our foundation, whether no matter how many band aids we put on it, no matter how much cement we go through, no many times we pay, they could dig up the side of it to fix it. It's not going to be fixed. And then you see in, in verse eleven, it's that's unprofitable. And then you see how we are profitable. That is going through, and they spent like in our basement specifically. They spent good, like $1,200 of uh, an iron beam to put up around the basement every two foot. And that's a, you know, that's 1,400 square feet around the whole basement. That's a lot of money. But are we putting that much into our walk? You know, when our foundation starts to crumble, when our foundation starts to crack, are we putting that much into this book with our relationship with Christ. And that to me, that illustration means a lot because, you know, once again, you have a foundation and then you start to build your house on it. You start to read scripture. You start to really dig into your relationship with Christ and your relationship with people in the church. And you're building a house, no matter how big or small it is. That structure, when it starts to break in and your your structure of your house that you built is falling in, the foundation is what's going to keep it together. So this is our front. Salvation is our foundation. Announcing Christ into your heart and living for Him is the foundation. That is the starting point. Um, so that was that was the meaning behind the title foundation. That's why I I chose the two F's, which was foundation and forgiveness, because the foundation is where we have to start, and forgiveness is one of those little things that can make your foundation crumble. So today I have another lengthy title for you. We are going to talk about forgiveness in which a believer must have to acquire stability in Christ. So foundation gives us stability. Forgiveness we have to to keep that to have or to acquire stability in Christ. 
I have two points that I want to cover with the rest of these verses, 15 through 25 in Philemon. Um, Sorry, what is that? You didn't write it down? (laughs) See, if you would have proofread, you could have wrote it down. (laughs) Sorry, recording. My wife is asking what the title is because she didn't write it down. Um, (laughs) Is the forgiveness in which a believer must have to acquire stability. You can get it at home in Christ. <laughs> Just leave two lines. Um, I'm sorry for that interruption. So I have two key points that will cover the rest of the verses. And the first uh, key point is unforgiveness. That is verse 15 through 18. And then, of course, we have forgiveness, which is verse 19 through 25. So the word unforgiveness, now I will admit, and I will give credit to, I don't know his name. I listened to several sermons this week because I like to hear other point of views, you know, from um, from other pastors of other churches, but they're like-minded. And I like to hear other 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 angles, you know, because that also helps with expounding. It's not just what I read, but what did, what did other people get out of it? And so... This gentleman used, kept using the word unforgiveness. And I had some titles beforehand, and I'm like, you know what? Unforgiveness and forgiveness. So when I taught Philemon for the first time in the men's breakfast, uh, my testimony was based on unprofitable and profitable. Well, now we have unforgiveness and forgiveness, and that's what the structure of this book is about. The first half we have foundation, and the second half we have forgiveness. So unforgiveness can lead to bitterness, better known as a grudge. If left untreated or unresolved, the grudge will start to overflow into all aspects of your life, just like a cup overflowing, creating trust issues as well as leaving you stranded and all alone because you don't trust anybody. So therefore, you're not going to build relationships with people because you don't trust them. Leviticus Leviticus 19.18 says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. James 5, 9 says, Grudge not against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. So we're told not to have a grudge. So we're told to not hold bitterness, and that is to not hold unforgiveness against other people. So a testimony about me a little bit growing up was my dad. My dad was military. He did 22 years in the Navy. At five years old, there's uh, me. I have a twin brother who's two minutes younger than me. And I have a four-year-old, or a, a sister who's four years older than me. So when we were five and we lived in Tennessee, crazy story, by the way, uh, since you're in here. When I, I, we were stationed in Millington, Tennessee, I came here, I was born, and then we went back to Millington. And I am two years older than my wife. So we were stationed in Millington from the age of newborn to five when we moved back here. And when I was two years old, my wife, who I... Did not know until 14 years ago. So if you do the math, I didn't know her when I was there in Millington, Tennessee. Um, she was born at that same base. So we were two years old. Or I was two years old. And she was born at the same base because our dads were stationed there together. Her dad was Marines and mine was Navy. Um, so that's a crazy little fact that we uncovered. Obviously, you know, you're like, well, why did God put you together? I don't know. But he started a very long time ago before I met her. Uh, so that was a cool little thing. But so we were stationed in Millington, Tennessee. My dad was Navy. He did 22 years. They got divorced when I was five. 
And so we moved back here because this is where my family was from, and he was just stationed there, so he had to stay. Ever since then, my dad has not played a major role into my life. And I'm not blaming the military. I'm not blaming anybody. Um, I, but I used to. I used to, for years growing up as a teenager, I was very bitter. My dad would call once a year on Christmas. He might call on my birthday. But other than that, we didn't really hear from him. And so I grew up without a dad. My mom remarried to a gentleman that took control um, for granted. And, and he, I, you know, today I, I love the guy to death because I'm older and I'm not as stubborn, but, and he did show us, he was raising us to prepare for this age rather than a teenager. So he, he had a mindset of, of preparing us. It was just, he was way too far ahead on his schedule, but my dad was not around still. He retired when I was 16. He had moved back home, you know, in, into Belton. And he still really didn't have anything to do with us. You know, we were, we were in the same town. Well, we, me and my brother made a decision to move in with him because that offer came up. My mom uh, was not in a good spot in her life, and we had a chance to move in with my dad. And so we did because my mom was a helicopter parent, and then my dad was the opposite direction. He wanted to be our friend. He wanted to make up time in that relationship. And my dad was... He was also a drinker, and his relationship with his current wife was not in the best of situations. But nonetheless, even after the military, that's why I can't blame the military, because even after the military, still to this day, actually, my dad is not a major role. He doesn't play a major part. So when I grew up, he didn't he didn't thrive for that time we had together. He didn't push for us to spend more time together. So I was very bitter against my dad. I was very grudgeful. I... I I grew up when we started, you know, we started having our litter of kids. I told her that, you know, I wanted to be a chain breaker. I was going to break that chain. I was not going to be like my dad. I I was going to strive so hard to be in every aspect of my children's life. So much so that that was my focus. My focus was to just be not be like my dad. And it it did the opposite effect. You know, it it it, it created a weird relationship with my children because my goal wasn't to do what was best for them or what I thought was right. It was just the fact that, you know, I was going to be that chain breaker and I was going to do it the way I wanted to do it. So that created a lot of bitterness. And it wasn't until probably two or three years after our salvation, so five years ago or so, that I had to sit down and text my dad because it was creating a lot of problems. Every time I would hear from my dad or I would text him because it's a one-way street with him. And it still is to this day, but my, my point to the whole thing is that I would be so, I was so mad at him. I was so frustrated that I just, I couldn't do it anymore. So I text him, you know, in a lengthy book stating why I was mad at him and why I resented him and, and what he had done to my life, even though he wasn't around, he still made a huge impact. And that helped a little bit. We met up for lunch, but I didn't, I, and I forgave him at that moment. But I didn't forget what he had done. I just forgave him, and I moved on with my life. And it still managed to come up where I was still bitter, and which we'll get into that here in a second. But I wanted to give you context of that was my story with my dad. And then I have another illustration um, as with my brother and sister. It was, oh, I don't know, it was some years ago where a situation happened 
And we were obviously, it was uh, before Felix was born. So it was born seven years ago. So, sorry, I based my timeline off my age's kids. Or the kids of my, whatever. So, uh, we had, we were moving from basement to basement in a situation that happened. And I live, we lived with my sister at the time in her basement. And there was a situation that happened with my brother and my sister that forced us out of my sister's basement and into another basement of somewhere else. And it was a lot of drama. And, but, after that situation, I didn't trust my brother or my sister because I didn't trust what they said. So that when we did have a conversation, it was very limited on what I would say because it would go to everybody else. So I didn't talk to my twin brother for over a year, and I didn't talk to my sister for several months before she came back to me and apologized. But I held that grudge. I stood my ground because I knew I, was in the, I wasn't in the wrong. I didn't do this to me or my family. And I wasn't going to allow them back in our lives to do it again. So I just put up a wall and I just didn't talk to him. I, ultimately, that is the most I've ever missed my brother. I love my brother to death. We don't get along. Like, we, we didn't get along when we lived together. We definitely get along now. We're older. We have families of our own. We don't get to spend a lot of time together. So when I'm around him, I ultimately, I miss my brother a lot. But during this time, I didn't. I didn't want anything to do with him. I missed him. But I wasn't, I was looking out for my family and my wife and my kids to not allow somebody toxic into our life that way. And so if you want to flip over to Acts, which is just a couple books backwards, Acts chapter 15, we're going to see how Paul kind of has that same effect in his ministry, even after salvation. So all... These stories I just told you, a lot of my dad's story kind of dealt a little bit in into my salvation or after my salvation. But my story with my brother and my sister was pre-salvation. But Acts chapter 15 and verse 36, and you might have heard this story before. But this is Paul speaking to Barnabas. And it said, in some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take them with them, John, whose surname was Mark. It says, but Paul thought not good to take with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And verse 39 is the kicker here. It says, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark whose name, or that was his surname, his name was John, and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. So if you look there, Paul would not have anything to do with John Mark, or John surname Mark. He would not have anything to do with Mark. He says the contention was so sharp that he wouldn't allow, he wouldn't go with him. So that's, that's kind of why the contention was there and it, and it altered their calling. So if Mark was called to go onto this with Paul, but Paul's contention, his grudge, his bitterness was so much against Mark, he said, I'm not going with that dude. I'll go with somebody else. You can go with uh, Barnabas. That changed Mark's calling right there. So Boston, actually, by the way, today's uh, Boston's first prayer team if you would like to go in the library after second service. But Boston, I was called to go to Boston this year. And I went two years ago and I was not called. It was because I had to take, I had to go to fulfill HBI recommendations to go on a mission trip. But this year I was called to go. 
And one of the, one of the uh, devotions I stated that anytime you go on a missions trip, if you're not called to go and you fill all the slots and there's no room for anybody else to go, but you're not called to go specifically through scripture or through another opportunity, a like-minded brother or sister, then you're taking the slot from somebody who is called to go because you are, you are not. So if you're going because it's a vacation or it's fun, just remember that when you do that, when you go outside of being called, you're taking somebody's slot who is called to go. So that alters what Christ is doing. And so that's what's happening here is Paul thought not good to take him because the contention was so sharp. He's altering what Christ is doing. And yet he still is used. Obviously, he wrote all the epistles, so he's still being used by Christ. But you can't allow that contention to get so sharp. And that's what I had done for many years. Um, back over to Philemon, if you would. <coughs> Verse 15, um, of course we go through, or I went through 14, or tw- uh, 1 through 14 last week, and then starting in verse 15, it says, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, and thou shalt not receive him forever. So verse 15, Paul wants to reiterate by saying that thou shouldest receive him forever. That means you, you're, this is what's going on. This is, you know, he, Paul is sending Onesimus back with a letter, and he, you know, he, he had gotten into his bonds, and saved, so he's te- he's just reassuring. Hey, you're going to receive or uh, receive him forever. And in uh, verse 16, it says, "Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more in- unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord." In uh, verse 16, Paul is justifying that Onesimus did in fact receive Christ while in his bonds. We covered that last week when we went over the word brother. And back in Colossians, it states that Onesimus, the first mention of Onesimus, not the introduction, the first mention, he's he's referred to as a brother, which is a brother in Christ. That is, receiving found uh, salvation, which really impacts verse 11 in Philemon, because it says, which in time past was the un- or to the unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. The two words there, Paul loves using his words, and we covered a lot of that last week. But now, Onesimus is profitable to the kingdom of Christ. Uh, verse 17, it says, If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. Second Corinthians 8.23 says, Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you, or our brethren he inquired of, uh, inquired of, be inquired of, sorry. They are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. So he is a partner. So he is a fellow brother who is a fellow soldier who is going to do labor for Christ. And that's what he says here. A partner, receive him as myself. So it's like saying, hey, I'm going to send you Onesimus, take him back, just as you would me if I had done the same thing to you. Um, and then verse 18, we see, if he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. So we covered that a little bit last week of why Onesimus had ran from Philemon in the first place. He was a runaway slave. Uh, context again, back then, Christians could have be slave owners, and Onesimus, a lot of, a lot of, uh, scripture, or a lot of people preaching, 
don't tell you the real reason that Onesimus left, but it's just written right here. So this is, they give you their opinion. Like I had done last week. I gave you a lot of opinion last week, but scripture tells us that he was a runaway slave because he, he got into Paul's bonds. And once again, I said last week, vacation, slaves don't get a vacation. So he had to have run away. And then verse 18 says, uh, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee, put that on mine account. So that says that Onesimus had stolen from Philemon. And we discovered, uh, last week as it was written to tell Philemon that Paul does know of what Onesimus did. He's not writing this letter just guessing. He's aware. He knows. And so he's still asking him to forgive him. That's what I could not do. I knew how my family had wronged me throughout my whole life. And it took years and years of just... Like it got to the point where I, I would expect my dad not to call. You know, or, or have anything to do with us. And it's, like I said, it's, I'm still a little, I'm still a little bitter about it, but God's really worked a lot of that out just because it's, it's happening today still. And it's not because of me. I'm over the fact that I'm not bitter because of myself. I'm bitter because my kids, my kids deserve to, my dad's a loving person. He's a kind hearted person. I love him to death. He does, my kids deserve to know or to get to know him, to know who he is. And that's not just not fair to them. And, you know, no matter how many times we try, we we just can't seem to allow, you know, obviously it's got to be a two-way street. So it's really difficult just for my kids' aspect because they deserve, obviously, I told you I was a chain breaker. So to me, in my eyes, they deserve a whole lot more than what I had growing up. And they so they deserve to have his attention and his love. So it took a long time for me to realize that that God's the only one that can really allow that to happen. He's the only one that can make that happen. I have to quit trying to do it myself. So we're going to move on to the second part, which is the forgiveness. So we went over unforgiveness. That's bitterness. That's holding a grudge. And now is how we are able to get rid of that and forgive and the purpose behind forgive. So I already explained to you why foundation and forgiveness tie together. You know, we have a foundation Forgiveness is you putting up those metal beams and, and not just a band-aid or letting it just go unresolved. That is how they tie together. And another testimony that I, I have that took a long time to happen, but in, of course it's all in God's timing, was my sister. We were trying to get pregnant with Felix. So it took us quite a while to get pregnant with Bryson. We waited five years, which is a big age gap, but... We were trying to get pregnant with Felix and we were having a hard time. So it was kind of frustrating. You know, you just, we just couldn't have, we thought we, Bryson was maybe our only one. And so once again, this is a pre-salvation story, but I grew up as an, in an assembly church. So I knew of God. I didn't know God. I knew of God and I knew of heaven. So we're laying in, or we go to a, we go to a family event and Holly had stayed home and I took Bryson with me. And I was obviously living in the world. You know, Satan was my God at that time. And we find out, or I find out. So, a little context. Our, when we had Bryson, my sister, or is, right, is it us? Or is it Bryson Landon, or is it Bryson? Okay, so there was four of us in three, every three months that had a baby in my family. It was us. I want to say it was my sister. Yeah, my sister followed us. So my my niece is three months older than Bryson. And then my brother's uh, son is three months older than my niece. 
So my nephew. And then my cousin had a child three months after that. So they all got pregnant three months back to back. And Bryson had started that, that chain of grandchildren. And so we... It was, with the context of that, my sister literally just got pregnant three months after we did the first time we had a child. So this time comes around, and if you're not gathering this, that my some of my family, I'm the black sheep of my family, um, especially now. But even before salvation, I was the black sheep of my family. My my family, a lot of my family loves attention. They love to be the center of attention. They love to have that attention. <coughs> That's just who they are. I'm not about the attention. I don't care for the drama. I don't need the spotlight. I'm over here. That's that, why do you think we live in Garden City? Um, everybody says it's too far for them to come visit. So, I, I sometimes it bothers me, but a lot of times I'm like, okay, nope, this is where God put us. That's fine. Uh, but uh, so one night after this family event, we get home and we, we're still once again we're just kind of beat up and you know we're not able to get pregnant. My sister calls me. Or I find out at the party, one of the two, that she's pregnant with their second or their third child. That she's pregnant. And at this time, it was like I was very, very upset. Like so much so that it affected me so much that we left that that little family get together, which is very, excuse me, which is very odd because it was at my aunt and uncle's house. And usually I wouldn't ever leave there. So... We left there and I just couldn't do it. I was, I was so angry. And at this time, there was a lot of bitterness in my heart towards my sister now, my dad, and the job I had left and remodeled a building. They decided to give a bonus to all the employees that stuck around the day after I started a new job. So I was just, I had bitter. I was just so bitter towards everybody and God allowed that to happen. You know why? Because I went home when we went to bed. And I literally prayed out loud, prayed out loud because I was tired of the bitterness. I, I didn't know what to do. I couldn't do this anymore. And I just wanted to be forgiven for one and then to forgive. I cannot express to you the peace, the physical peace, the physical burden lifted after that moment, because I was holding on to so much bitterness and so much unforgiveness that it it got to the point where I could not do it anymore, and I could literally laying in bed. I think she was asleep already, and I I just prayed out to God. I cried, and I cannot tell you the physical. I physically felt lighter, which is a good thing for me, a guy of my size. I physically felt lighter because of that burden that I finally prayed to God to take off my shoulders. And t- mind you, this is pre-salvation. This wasn't. This wasn't. We weren't saved at this point. Which is even more of a bigger story because God still works on people outside of salvation. So you yourself can't be profitable to his kingdom pre-salvation, but he can be profitable to you for salvation, if that makes any sense. You can't do anything to, to gain his kingdom, but he can work on you for his kingdom. He can do all of that work. You can't do anything pre-salvation. Um, so moving on, verse 19, it says, Paul, I, I Paul have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Paul assures that it is him writing. Obviously, he says, I, Paul, have written. And with that assurance, we see him saying, I will repay it, which reverts back to verse 18. It just adds a little clarity 
to the fact that Onesimus stole from Philemon. In verse 18, when it says, If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on my own account. Um, verse 20 and 21, it says, Yeah, brother, let me have joy in the, or joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. 21, it says, Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Paul uses the word brother again, and we just covered that. Brother is a brother in Christ. Um, this time is directed towards Philemon as it was in verse 1. Verse 1, it says, Prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved. It reverts back to that. It reverts back to, now he's not talking about Onesimus. He's letting Philemon know, hey, this is where you are now currently. Onesimus is there. Even though he literally just got saved, you have more experience. But the fact is, both of you are saved now. Both of you are brothers in one. Um, he also says uh, in verse 21, he also says, Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. So one thing that I've had to learn over the years is not only forgiveness, but also when you forgive, you know, that old saying, you can forgive, but don't forget. That is blasphemy. That is not how that works. Because when you don't forgive, but you forgive, you're allowing that bitterness to rest in you still because you're not forgetting it. So, Many years I did forgive my brother and my sister. We finally started talking again. But I, like I told you, I would not forget it because I wasn't going to allow that to happen again. That was me keeping my guard up. But not forgetting every time I saw my brother, that allowed that bitterness to rest. And then when I see him physically, it's like, or talk to him on the phone, that bitterness rises and I put my guard up. So when you forgive, it is, it is important to forget. You have to forget in order to forgive fully. Do you think Christ, when he, when he was getting beaten and pummeled, do you think he, he obviously forgave because he got on that cross and died for us, correct? Do you think he remembered what they did? Do you think he called them out for it? No. He got on the cross. He died for our sins. He forgot. He didn't let it, he didn't let it be bitter towards us when he died for us. It's forgotten. So that's what we must do is forget at the same time as forgiving. Uh, verse 22 uh, through 25, which is the rest of the chapter, it says, But with all prayer, without prayer, me also a lodging. Hold on, let me try that one more time. But with all prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute the Ephaphras. Uh, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, uh, Ar- Demos. Okay, so I'll let you read those. Uh, fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Uh, be with your spirit. Amen. Uh, verse 22. Yeah, it was verse 22 through 25. Paul is letting Philemon know that he does plan on visiting once he is out of physical physical prison. But if you if you caught on to that, the words he says is, "I trust that through your prayers I shall be given." unto you he isn't promising a visit because he is a prisoner of jesus christ so he doesn't know where christ is going to lead him last week we covered the story of joseph joseph knew where to give credit when it was due but he didn't know what god was or what god was truly going to put him through with his brothers he didn't realize that until afterwards 
So Paul is saying, I trust that you and your prayers, I should be given unto you. So pray about it and we'll see if God's direct, you know, this is what I really want to do, but we'll see where Christ is going to take me. So pray about it and I'll pray with it about it too. And if God opens that door, just have a lodging, be prepared. There was a story and if you, five years ago we went to London and one, one of the stories that led me to London, one of the verses was Abraham. God was promising Abraham, which he just brought up promised him a land in verse 12 uh, chapter 12 verse 1 in genesis and i heard a story about being prepared and it was a it was from a movie um it was a fo- christian football movie i can't remember. it was a kendrick brothers production but it was a, a story of two farmers praying for rain because the harvest was dry one prepared for it and the other sat on his couch so who do you think god blessed the one that prepared for it exactly he prepared for it because he had the faith that God was going to provide that rain. The other gentleman just prayed for it and kind of went about his business. That's a huge, <laughs> that statement's huge. I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Prepare, Philemon. Prepare a lodge for me just in case God sends me over there. Then we can, we can see each other in person, but just pray for it. He might have other plans for me. I don't know. So once again, you got to pray over these decisions. Pray over this, this, let God direct your path, as it says in Proverbs 3. Allow Him to direct your path. And so uh, the conclusion here, so I can wrap it up, is living and leading as a picture of Christ means we have an outlet to forgive. We have an outlet to unload those burdens at His feet. Uh, verse 3 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It uses the word grace before peace. Uh, Jesus Christ gave us a prime illustration when he died for our sins, which I just said. That means the sins of the same soldiers that beat him, the same people that laughed at him, and the same people that condemned him. Judas betrayed him, and he was still forgiven. Peter not only doubted him, but Peter also denied him and was still forgiven. Grace is Christ dying for our past sins and our future sins. Or I'm sorry, Christ is, or grace is Christ dying for our past sins, our daily sins, and our future sins. Don't let your grudge tarry on and turn into bitterness. And then we all, once again, we have to forgive and, uh, forgive and forget and give it to Christ. That's the only person that will relieve you and give you peace. It says it right here. Grace to you first, and then peace by Christ Jesus, not by our own doings. So, that is all I have, is the book of Philemon. So I will pray real quick, and then we can get you guys out of here. So thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for this opportunity to stand up here. Thank you for the the class having grace with me as I try to figure out how to do this teaching thing, and them listening. And, and uh, Lord, I just thank you for the criticism of myself to grow that's what criticism equals is growth and i just i really thank you for the the opportunity to stand up here because it's because of you that i get to do it and just preach your word or teach your word and i just i really am humbled to have have this opportunity lord and i pray that we all glean from it not just the class but me myself for my family and for our structure to glean from it and to learn how to forgive as you forgive us every single day and how to forget to have our structure, Lord, that you have implemented in 1 Corinthians 11 
to have that structure spiritually and physically at home, in our homes, in our work, and for our testimony. Just thank you for this time, Lord, and thank you for the picture of, of Paul writing to Philemon, this love letter from a brother to a brother, to truly understand what structure and forgiveness truly, really look like. And I'm, I'm grateful for that book. I'm grateful for Paul's writing. I'm grateful for the Bible, the living word, but it really can be implemented today. And I thank you for the opportunity to read that, to study that, and to teach it. Lord, we love you and we just pray for the rest of today as we are busy. Pray for the, the three people getting baptized, uh, second service. Pray you be with them and then they continue to seek you after they get out of the water and, and after today's service that they continue to seek you. And this isn't just a, an accomplishment, but it is a milestone to work towards you and their relationship with you. And just thank you for this opportunity to be a part of it and a part of this church body. And we love you, Lord. Amen. Well, everybody, give me just a minute or two.